0: Howdy. Hello. When I woke up this morning and came to church, there was ice on my windshield. No. I was bitter. You know, when it's, you go outside and it's kind of foggy, so you just kind of hit the little spritzer thing, and then that worst thing that could possibly happen happens. It makes that noise as your wipers cross the, the, the ice. I was not prepared for that this morning, and it was a little bitter the entire way in because I don't like cold. It's nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to whine and complain a little bit. Um, hey, uh, what? Oh. Um, two of our pastors are, uh, um, sorry, there's too much stuff up here. It's too distracting. Um, Two of our pastors are in Israel, or at least on their way to Israel, um, and uh, there is a sign-up sheet on that back, uh, back table, as I am looking to the right as you are turned facing us on the left, um, and there's opportunities for us to sign up and uh, pray for them while they're gone. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff to pray for. I, I, I would really like you to pray for safety, you know, um, not that I'm terribly concerned about that. Wait. I was on a trip with Pastor Jim and we were in this big aluminum canoe with big aluminum paddles out in the middle of this huge lake when lightning started going in the downpour. And I wanted to pull off to the side, but Pastor Jim was confident because he had unfulfilled prophecies, so we just pressed on. (laughs) Of course, it occurred to me as we were going, I don't think I have any unfulfilled prophecies. So if I'm ever somewhere with Pastor Jim, he'll come back fine. I, on the other hand, not so much. Um, But please pray for them while they're gone. Um, Feel free to pray for them when they're here too. But uh, there are sign-up sheets for specific times um, take a look at the sheet before you go, and, and please sign up for that. Um, I, uh, this is a big year for me um, in that there's a lot of 20s involved in this year. And it's weird for me that I've been doing something for 20 years because I don't feel 46, um, but I am 46. I don't know what 46 is supposed to feel like, um, so I don't know why I say that. But it, I guess it feels, well, kind of balding and chubby. Um, and uh, so I'm celebrating two anniversaries this this year. One more important than the other. I in a couple of weeks I will have been married for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about a, a, a woman with patience and and stick to itiveness? That would be my wife. Um, but uh, the the other thing is that I will have been in the insurance industry, or I have been in the insurance industry for 20 years. I've been in underwriting for 20 years. For those of you that don't know what underwriting is, I'm not going to tell you. You can look it up because nobody ever knows what it is. And I, and frankly, I'm just tired of telling everybody what it's all about. You know what? Where's Tim? Tim. That's Tim. Kevin. Where's Kevin? Where's Kevin? Oh, my gosh. He's so pokey. You know, you would think with those long legs he'd be faster. Anyway, Kevin Fossite is also an underwriter, so ask him because he'd be glad to share it with you. But anyway... Um, 20 years I've been doing this, and, and um, you know the insurance industry from, a, uh, from an income standpoint, from an occupational standpoint, has been very good to me. Um, I've learned a lot of things along the way, um, but it always is amazing to me how biblical ideas find their way into the business world. And I'm assuming it's because <laughs> biblical truths are universal truths. And so there there are things that people have have packaged up and written books about and have give seminars on that when you look at and you study, you realize that a lot of these things are are really kind of repackaged versions of what you and I should be living every day and um, you know one of those things is that in a in a corporation, right we all have our jobs to do. there are all things that we get paid to do, and it's not fun, right because it's called work if it was fun they would call it hobby and we would pay them right so it's not fun stuff it's work and so the the you you get a job somewhere and in an ideal place in an ideal situation you can you can rise to your to your level of ability Um, there's something called the Peter Principle, which is you rise to your own level of incompetence, right? What that means is you do really good at just this job, so you get promoted, and you do really good at this job, and you get promoted. You get really good at this job, you get promoted, but you stink at this job because you've done all these other ones. You've done really good, but you've reached the point where you now stink at your job, and you're not going to go any further, and this is as far as you go, and you make everybody else's life miserable because you stink at your job. I believe in the Peter Principle, by the way, um, and I've lived it, and I'm sure people who work for me believe that they are living it as well. So, but in reality, when you when you get a job and you get the opportunity, um, you know, you work really hard, you learn a lot of things, you become really competent at what you do and you exceed expectations, right? So you, you, you reap the reward of exceeding expectations by getting promoted, but the reality of that is, you are doing a job. You know, you could be the smartest person ever, you could be the greatest, you know, you could have all the right thought processes. You could, you could have all the knowledge. But if you don't, carry out your duties. And right there, someone just said, he said duties. <laughs> if you are not carrying out those tasks in which you have been hired for, you will get fired. Period. As smart as you are, as, as great, as, as intelligent as you are, if there are responsibilities that you have to carry out, you have to carry them out. And if you carry them out appropriately, then you reap the benefit of being promoted and, get, and getting more money. I mean, that's, I don't know why you work, but that's why I work. I, I, can, I, could, I could have a lot of satisfaction just sitting around eating Twinkies and getting fat. That would be satisfying to me. So the only reason why I work is to earn a living. So, you know, at your job, it's not about you. It's not all about you. Part of it is, right? Because your company wants you to be competent at what you do. They want you to do a good job. They want you to excel in the position that you're in. And by so doing, you do reap a benefit, you do reap a reward by going that next level, by going to that next step, by getting that next job that better utilizes your expertise, that better utilizes your talents, and thereby making more money. It's not terribly different within the body of Christ. In fact, I, I would say that the business world model is actually a picture of what we do here in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you do for us. And I don't thank you because of that. I just appreciate the fact that you do. You are a wonderful God. Please bless this time that we have together, Lord. Help me to speak the words that you want me to, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In James chapter 4, verse 1, It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Once you receive the gift of salvation, it really isn't all about you. You have to take that first step, right? You have to accept the gift of grace. At that point, it is all about you. You know, you, you making the decision to submit your life to Christ, to accept the gift of salvation. At that moment, it's you and God. You also have a responsibility, just as you would in your job. You have to maintain your relationship with your Heavenly Father. There are certain things that are involved in maintaining a relationship with a person. There's things that you need to do to maintain your relationship with God. You need to learn about what it is that we need to do as as brothers and sisters, as children of God, right? We learn how God wants us to live our lives. We pattern our lives about what God wants, not what we want. We grow in grace and understanding of who he is and how he operates and how we're supposed to operate in life. But then you take that information and as you grow in Christ, as you grow into the, the woman or man of God that, that he wants you to be, it becomes less and less about you. Now, you do need to maintain your relationship with God, right? Um, again, I, I've been married almost 20 years this year and, and not to admit to any failures or anything, but for those of you that have been married, there are ebbs and flows in a relationship, Right? You are who you are, you have, you, you, know, you have bad days at work, you have, <laughs> I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm just tired, and you, know, you don't feel right, you don't feel good, you feel mad about your job or whatever, and so sometimes you take that into your relationship. When I had premarital counseling with Pastor Frank, he talked about unstringing your bow, and what that means is when you leave work, you leave work behind, you don't bring that home with you. Well, the downside for me is I work at home. You know, I don't, I, you know, I used to be, I had a 25 or depending on traffic, 45 minute commute to unstring my bow, And so you can listen to the radio and I, I, I don't know how you do it, but you know, I sing in my car. I, I actually, I just, you know, I, I don't just, I sing in my car. Um, cause for whatever reason, even though my windows are like completely clear, I don't believe anybody else can see me <laughs> anyway. So I would sing in my car and, um, you know, kind of unstring my bow and, um, and, and now, now you know, I go, I go from my desk up a set of stairs and I'm home. And I don't unstring my bow well in 30 seconds, um, 45 seconds if the dogs are on the stairs. Um, and so there will be days, there will be times where I'll, I will bring what happened to me at work into my relationship. And I'm not focused on what it means to be, to be a husband. I'm not focused on, more specifically, what it means to be Lynn Marie's husband or, or Colin's dad. Because I'm still stuck at work or I'm still focused on other things. And you and I do the same thing in our relationships with with God. We go into prayer, but we're not all there. You know, we we, we know that we need to spend time in the Word. We know um, that we need to spend time in prayer. Because just as with any other relationship, right? You can't have a relationship unless you're spending time with somebody. And the same thing is true with your relationship with God. If you're not taking that time, if you're not focused on that relationship, the relationship is not what it should be. It doesn't necessarily mean it's destroyed. It just doesn't mean it's not, it means it's not as good as it should be. And that's the same thing that's true with your relationship with God. And as you grow and as you move in and you realize who you are in Christ, what it is that he's created in you, what you're good at, what your gifts are, you begin to realize that these, these things that we do aren't just for you. You know, I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the amount of talent that we have in this body. Um, musical, artistic, verbal, um, the ability to teach, the ability to, to learn and apply and, and all these things. And I'm just amazed at what God has, has gifted you with as an individual and as a body and, and realizing that I get to reap the benefits of your magnificence. Because that's what it's supposed to be in the body of Christ, right? The things that we receive from God, we give back to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to the fallen world. We receive the glory of God and we reflect it back to a dying world. That is yours and my job. That is what you and I are supposed to be. So the fact that you grow and you're mature is great for you, but that's the beginning, not the end. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God loves, he loves individuals. He also loves in mass. He loves the world. He loves the people in the world. And he expects us to do the same. That's part of our job. It's in our job description. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so just, just so you and I are on the same page, okay? The world uses the, the word love a lot, you know? And I do too, honestly. And I, I use it in ways that I probably shouldn't. You know, I love Twinkies. I love frozen custard. I love anything with fat and sugar in it, apparently. Um, And that's probably not true. I really, really enjoy it. It's probably not love. But what God is talking about here is that there are times where you love, in essence, is putting somebody else's needs in front of your own. And I'm not talking about the need for air. I'm not talking about the need for rest necessarily or or the need for food. But there are times where just as, just as God placed the needs of the world in front of his own, he sent his own son, right, to die for us out of love. The same thing is true for us. There are times where we need to set our own needs aside to put out something for the needs of somebody else, whether that's time, whether that's energy, whether that's a, a, an ability or a gift that you have. God so loved the world, we need to love the world too. This is how people see God, right? We are we are the, the flesh and bones to the Holy Spirit. We don't see the Holy Spirit, we feel the Holy Spirit because we're believers. But non believers to a dying world, you and I are the flesh and bones to God. He expects you to take those things that you've received from him and give it back to your brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to those people that aren't necessarily your brothers and sisters in Christ yet. And the amazing thing is, this is the one that I always find the, the most difficult is, is, is not just to the people that love us back, but also to those that detest us. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, You have heard, heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, conceptually, I get that. Putting it into practice, on the other hand, is very difficult. Now, for those of you that work outside the home, for those of you that work inside the home, for those of you that have to interact with any human beings at any time ever, you have met the person that you can't stand. Poor Lynn Marie, she's married to him. No, no, no. <laughs> but you do work with people, right? You do interact with people that just, for whatever reason, know exactly what buttons to push so you want to reach through the phone and, and take them by the neck and squeeze until their eyes pop out. Is that just me? I, I have the, the again, I, I have, it's an upside and a downside, right? There's never benefits, all benefits to one thing are all downsides to one thing, but working from home has its benefits, right? I don't have to look good when I go to work. That's a downside to Lynn Marie because she comes home and I'm still looking like I did when I woke up in the morning. Um, you know, I uh, I don't have a commute, which, you know, and again, the downside is I don't get to unstring my bow. I have to talk to people on the phone, and I I'm I prefer... Upfront live communication. I can see how you're responding to me. I can see your body language. I can see your facial expressions. So, you know, if you say something to me, I can I can see it through the filter of your, your body language, right? So there are people, you know, who might say something like on the phone that really gets your goat, but if you saw them live, you'd realize they were only kidding. Well, I work with this guy. Well, I can't tell if he's kidding. If I'm live, if he's on the phone, anything. And he, he just says stuff that gets me, and I, I, um, I want to kill him in the name of Jesus. Um, actually, that's not true. If I want to kill him, it would be in my own name. But um, he's very difficult to work with uh, because he's so harsh. He's very cut and dry. I find that very difficult to work with. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's his way or the highway. And, it, and I will say this. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And the reason why he does things is because he's thought it through. He's, he's, you know, he's thought about it, you know, long before we go to a meeting. He's already got his decisions made, so he's very difficult to convince otherwise. And he doesn't really give a rip about people. Where, I, you know, I, I take my pastoring into my job. I have a, a you know, number of people that, that report to me. And I, I treat them honestly like I would here at church. I, it's, you know, I'm, I'm helping them. I shepherd them. It's, it's just what I do. I can't turn that off when I go at work. And, and here's this guy who really doesn't give a rip about anybody that, that he works with at all. And if we all died of smallpox, he'd be fine with that. He'd find other people to do the job. And that bothers me. But in my new position in the job that I have, I have the opportunity to help him out. And it stymies him. It blows him away. He knows that I'm a believer. He's an atheist. And so he always looks for ways, you know, he always looks for things that I'm not doing right as a Christian. And so having these opportunities to go the extra mile in the business world and go out of my way to make him look good, you know, granted, I don't want to look bad at work because I don't want to get fired. That being said, you know, I'm in a position now where I'm comfortable, I can do things or whatever. There's probably, I work from home. There's only so far I'm going to go so I can actually go out of my way and not jeopardize anything and make him look good and just have him blow, just, just, it confuses him. Why would anybody in the business world do that? And I look for opportunities to witness to him. He's a tough nut to crack. Um, but, you know, if I love him as I'm supposed to, that's what you do. Now, we as Americans, we, I, you know, every culture is different. Right? That's why they call them cultures. <laughs> if they, if if every, you know, if every culture wasn't different, we'd be just called people. But we have a culture here in the United States, and it's a very selfish culture. It's very inwardly focused, isn't it? You know, it's it's if you look at the commercials on the television, it's about satisfying your needs and your wants and your desires. If you, go, if you go into bookstores and you look at the self-help section, it's always, about, it's always about you. How can you be a better person? What can you do to improve yourself? It's never, very seldom do you see the title, how, how you can improve, you know, what you can do to improve society or what you contribute to make someone else a better person. It's always looking inwards. And we as Christians kind of in the, the church of the United States has sort of fallen into that. You know, as I as I listen to sermons, uh, as I as I look at what people write, as I you know, I I I like to follow, I like to follow other pastors and see what they're tweeting and and seeing what their sermons are about and and that sort of thing, and 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 you know, it depends on the individual and it depends on the the congregation, but but so often it's what Christ does for you. You know, it it becomes so. Your spiritual walk becomes so focused on you. That you forget that you have an opportunity or an obligation really to be focused outward you know if you're taking part of your relationship that part will take care of itself if you're spending time with god and doing the the things that you need to do in your spiritual disciplines and it is a discipline you will become you know as 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 you see the opportunities that god places in front of you to to act as god's uh representative you will, you will, in those situations, grow. You will, in those situations, become who God wants you to be. But you don't need to focus on that so much that you miss out on what it is that God has for you out here. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, "'Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, "'to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, "'holy and pleasing to God. "'This is your spiritual act of worship. "'Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, "'but be transformed by the renewing of your mind.'" Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying let him teach uh, let him prophesying let him use it there we go in proportion to his faith if it is serving let him serve if it is teaching let him teach if it is encouraging let him encourage if it is contributing to the needs of others let him give generously if it is leadership let him govern diligently if it is showing mercy let him do it cheerfully as part of loving we belong to each other you aren't given gifts for you and certainly, there are benefits to having gifts. And all, everyone who's a believer has them. For those of us that are baptized in the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity for others. And certainly, there are benefits to those gifts, both in your relationship to, to Christ and you know, uh, understanding who he is, and frankly, for our own, you know, building ourselves up in the image of God and that sort of thing. There are definitely benefits to you. But those gifts aren't for you, those gifts are for other people. You know, I, I always use this as an example. lin has the gift of giving. I do not. And either you have the gift of giving or you do not. I like to think I have the gift of keeping and hoarding. I haven't found that reference in Scripture yet, but it's got to be in there somewhere because I have it. I like to keep stuff. I like to get stuff and money and keep it and, and keep it. And just to keep it, I don't want to spend it on anything. I just I just want it. My wife has a gift of giving. Interesting that he put us together, isn't it? And when it comes time to give, that's up to Lynn Marie. You know, as as a husband and wife, we talk about things, right? But more often than not, I defer to what the Holy Spirit is telling her because I don't have that gift. You know, if Lynn Marie turns to me and says, what do you think the Holy Spirit wants us to give? Um, Actually, I think when the plate comes around, God would like us to take something out of the plate. I've actually said that, and then Maria said no, because she's a good child of God. I make Jesus sad, um, but that's why, that's why we're together, one of the reasons why we're together. you know, If you're going ha- to have something to give, you have to ha- or if, you're gonna, if you have the gift of giving, you have to have something to give, right? So my job is to make it. Her job is to give it away. It does. It works for us. It is awesome. But that gift—that gift doesn't benefit her necessarily. It benefits other people. It benefits other organizations. It benefits the people that come and speak here at our church. It, you know, as we sow into other people's ministries, we sow into other ministries elsewhere. It is because she is willing to hear the Holy Spirit and hear from God and operate in her gifts. Certainly, she grows from that. Right? Her faith is tested. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes we think she's gone too far, and by we, I, it means me. Um, but who can outgive God, right? Even if we're wrong and we give too much, don't you think God can make up the slack? Can I, can I tell you a neat story? <laughs> Lynn Marie works at a Christian school, and um, uh, she decided in her heart, that even though she works there and received a paycheck, she decided that the Holy Spirit wanted her to uh, donate her paycheck back to the school. She called me, and I, I think I was on a business trip when she gave, you know, when she had that idea. So she didn't see my facial expression when she said that. It's like, okay, I trust you and God. Not necessarily in that order, and not necessarily right now. But I acquiesced, right? She, she, it wasn't a decision she made by herself. She believed this is what the Holy Spirit, but because it affects the family, she talked, to, she talked to me about it, just as the same as I would do with her. And it's been tough. She decided to do that last year, and we've started a new school year. And by the way, we also decided to pay tuition, right? So we're not just, we're not just, we're not just giving up a paycheck. We're also give, you know, we're still paying tuition. So, you know, that's a, that could be a hefty chunk of money. And um, we had no idea. And it hasn't been going particularly well because things kept breaking. We had all all sorts of stuff go belly up. As soon as we decided to do that, um, the lawnmower stopped. The other lawnmower stopped. Um, We had a car accident. We had unexpected car repairs. We had some stuff. We had our washing machine died. um, Our dryer broke. Our microwave broke. Seriously, this is all within, like, as soon as Lidmarie made the decision, it's like, all our appliances went, yeah, we're done. <laughs> and um, they're expensive, man. And washing machines have changed in the 20 years since I last had to buy a washing machine. Um, they, anyway, different topic. I'll, go, I'll get back to it, but anyway, so all this stuff is breaking, you know, um, and, and I, you know, medical stuff we weren't expecting, and all this other stuff. last week, we've been reorganizing as a department for almost a year. For almost a year, and I have a new job now. I didn't apply for a job; they gave me a new job. (laughs) This is what you will do, and it's a lot more responsibility. But in the business world, the whole the whole point of the business world, right, is for them to get as much out of you as they can for the least amount of money. Amen. Amen. And by the way, it's the same thing for church with you. Okay. Um, Last week, I got a promotion and a raise. And oddly enough, it's almost enough to pay, completely pay for tuition. Coincidence? I don't think so. I didn't apply for it. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't, you know, I was, I was asking for help. And I was also asking for things to stop breaking. But God provided. How big is my God? You know, we were outwardly focused, doing what God wanted us to do to help out a ministry. God provided You aren't given a calling for you. There are benefits in your calling. There are some not-so-benefits in your calling. But the purpose that God has put in your life, to do whatever it is that that God has for you to do, there are certainly benefits in there, but those benefits aren't for you. You know, anybody's calling has got to be outwardly focused. You look at the ministries that there are out there, uh, you know, around the world, across the U.S., you know, I'm sure... That Alan Ross, there are benefits to his job. I don't know what they are. But he comes here and he ministers to us. He leaves his family at home. He leaves his wife, his daughter at home. And he comes and he ministers here in the United States. How many thousands of miles away? I mean, he's (laughs) the poor man. He's even changed his accent so we could understand him now. And I'm sure there, there are spiritual benefits to him. But honestly, the benefits are for us, not for him. He's being faithful to God so that we can reap the benefits of his faithfulness. And that's true for you. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever it is that God has purposed in your life for you to do, the benefits are for others, not for you. In John thirteen twelve, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And if anyone has ever walked the face of the earth that that deserved to be served, it was he. But that was not the purpose. He was here. He will receive adoration and, and worship forever and ever when we're in heaven. But while he was here, his focus was outward. His focus was on service, not on receiving service. And the same thing is true for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, For it is, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die in sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. (laughs) Not to discourage you, but you will be doing right in God's eyes. And somebody else is going to get really mad at you, and you are going to be punished for it. In the end, you will be rewarded because you were punished unjustly. But understand, I'm, I'm, I'm really big on, on, on as full of an explanation as I can give you. Understand that as you move forward in God, as you move forward in being more outwardly focused, things are going to come against you, and you will be punished for doing what is right. That's the way the devil works. That's the way the world works. They don't want to hear your message. They don't want to see your righteousness. So somewhere, somewhere along the line, someone is going to see your righteousness and it is just going to anger them beyond belief and you will be punished for doing what is right. Whether that's in your job, whether that's in the grocery store, whether it's that, you know, the person you help out carrying their groceries, somewhere along the line, you are just going to take somebody off. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Whatever punishment you receive here is so incredibly temporary. And I understand that it doesn't feel like it when you're going through it because it's right here, it's right now, the pain is fresh. But just as those old injuries you had when you were a kid don't hurt you anymore, someday when we're in heaven and we understand and we see and we have the benefit of seeing things from an eternal viewpoint, understand that these painful things that we're going through now are going to be like nothing. I am sorry you're feeling pain now. I'm sorry for whatever thing you're being punished for because you were doing what God wanted you to do. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it will be better. Whether it's here on earth or whether it's in heaven, it will go away. I can't think of a, any better example than Jesus, right? How bad was his punishment for nothing that he did? And even though he knew exactly what was coming, blow for blow, thorn by thorn, piercing by piercing, he knew exactly what was coming and exactly how it was going to feel, and yet he did it anyway. For you and for me and the person on the block and that guy that I work with that's a pinhead. For each and every one. And that's what he expects from us. Because there are people out there that need to hear. There are people out there that need to know. And that is the purpose of us. That is the purpose of the church universal. But more specifically, that is why we are here. This is why we're in Milwaukee. That's why we're on Capitol Drive. That's why we're going to go out and put leaflets out and and give literature out so people come to our harvest party, not because we're great and awesome, but because that's what God wants. He wants people to hear his message. He wants people to live his life. He wants people to receive salvation and live with him eternally because he loves them. And that's our motivation, right? Everything that we do here at Grace comes back to our vision strengthen to reach, reaching out to the community, the various communities that we belong to. You know, we give these message those messages so that you can learn our, our 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 adult Sunday school, right? We're taking we're taking some very basic Christian doctrine about who we are and what we are, and we're we're going through it again. You know, some of us are going through it the first time. Some of us have 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 gone through it more than once. And the reason why we're going through it again is so that we can continue to learn, and so that we can synthesize this stuff. You know, we 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 understand it and we get it, and we can tell ourselves about it in Christian words, right? Christianity's got a lot of Christian words, but when you're out there someday, and somebody asks you about it, can you put it into regular, everyday English? How do you explain repentance to somebody who doesn't know what they're repenting from, or what repenting is? If you walked up to someone and said, I need you to free be in order to receive salvation, Frebozober means nothing to you because it means nothing. Repentance means nothing to the non-believer. Worse yet, (laughs) words like evangelism just make people mad. You know, they're prepared. They've heard some of these Christian words, and they're ready for you, you know. So we need to learn how to explain things that are very basic to us and our understanding, but learn it in such a way that it becomes a part of who we are and that we can explain it in everyday non-Christianese, so that the pre-believer or the person who does not yet believe can receive it. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. That's why we have home groups. You know, that's that's why we have women's prayer. That's why we have men's prayer. To strengthen us so that we can be out in the community being a light to the dying world. That's what it's all about. So it's not all about you. Some of it's about you. But most of it is about everybody else. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for grace. Both the act of grace and this body of believers called grace. I thank you for what you've done and who you are. And Father, I I, I ask that you help us to see I ask that you help us to see the world as you see it and our place in it. And as great as our relationship is with you, that it isn't about just a relationship between you and I, but it's a relationship about you and I and the world. Father, help us to see it and help us to do it. And Father, I also ask for uh, safe travels and just a, a great trip for Pastor Frank and Pastor Jim Lord. I ask that it really it just be a, a blessing and an energizing time for them, Lord, uh, whether that's the, the, the purpose of the trip or not, Lord. I just pray that you, you rejuvenate them while they're gone. Again, Lord, I thank you for who you are, and we do love you. In Jesus' name, amen.